Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and this is the next space show, and this is, well, PJ, but, you know, for all of you sake, this is Joe. And Al. And Al's here. Say hi, Al. Hello. <laughs> well, we're back, and we're happy to be here, and we've got uh, some things going on, and we wanted to talk about a specific project, but before... We we'll get an update on, you know, we got a little more time, so we want to update on what's going on with Earthseed. I know. Since I'm our last show. Since our last show, which is like almost three freaking years ago. So we're excited to be back. And, uh, again, it's, we're, we've gotten some things going on on Earthseed. we got, you know, you've, you've get, you had a couple of habitats since then. And you've got a huge big bus, and we'd like to talk about that bus because everybody is clamoring to know more about it. Right. Well, first thing, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about history, and let's bring everybody up to date. Back when we were last talking on the air, we were talking about the tiny home project that I had going. Yes, yes. And in the tiny home, it was considered uh, by me as a technology demonstrator. The whole point was it was my second large phase of research uh, working towards a full-scale habitat. To to that end, we wanted to place within the tiny home um, a full-on, all of the components had to be present. Now, whether they all worked completely well or not wasn't at issue. The goal was to see if I could connect them in a small space. How small was it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, somebody's going to ask, so I'm going to tell you, I spent the night in the tiny home once and How never cold? again. How cold was it? Well, it wasn't too cold because it was, it was like in, in March or April of, of our season ah, here. That wasn't the so, time that you took it, took it to Utah. No, 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 no. And no, it snowed. That, no, I had I had my battery pack in there overnight, fully charged when I pulled up. I set up my little radiator heater inside the tiny home, and I had it running. And apparently, within probably 20 minutes after I, I fired it up, <laughs> um, my power inverter overloaded oh and shut down. I hate it when that happens. So... Needless to say, it got really cold in that in that trailer that night. Uh, my batteries were still intact. They hadn't used much juice at all, even though the inverter had said, no, nope, that's too much power. I'm not giving you none. I'll have to pull that, pull that and put that on your Earthseed Facebook page, which, by the way, we have one. Thank you. Yes. Um, and so, anyway, what happened with the tiny home is, is that um, here it is. Let's see. We're in 2018. Um, the... Tiny Home was officially retired in March of this year. Actually attended its last show um, shortly before that. I'd have to look up to see when the last show was. But in March, um, I acquired an 84-passenger diesel school bus. This is in. This is a monster. Yeah. And yes. I have spent the time since... March, uh, going through all the hoops and changes to get it titled and licensed in the state of Arizona as an RV uh, to get the minimum requirements changes involved so that that could happen. Um, and uh, so 
So in essence, you're trying to get this bus into a biome on wheels. Absolutely. Um, in, in point of fact, um, this is a do-it-yourself DIY biome that I'm building, but it's also, more importantly, for the Earthsea project, the bus is actually a habitat under construction. Um, just to give you some basic uh, info on what the bus will have. Well, let's, let's go back to the tiny home for a minute because okay. I want something for comparison. Good. Okay. In the tiny home, you asked just how big it was. Yeah, true. You didn't answer um, that question, did you? Keep in mind, okay, total space. Now, this is – now, keep in mind, the, the tiny home had a four-foot square slide-out in the back end. So I was increasing the size inside the tiny home by a full third more than I started with. Yes, but what was the square footage? So the start? square footage of living space – was a grand total of 72 square feet of total living space. So if you were going to put steps to that, it would be like maybe 10, 12 spaces? No. Less, less feet it's, than it's that. Like, it's like it was two paces across okay. on the floor. Two, is that it? That's it. And those are oh paces, not paces, not, two two not steps, feet, you know, yeah, foot before foot kind of thing. Right. The the actual floor space ended up being about eleven and a half feet long, okay, and approximately four feet wide at the floor. But keep in mind, I extended the sides out right. by an extra twelve inches on each side. A, a slide out, which I thought was really interesting, and I know many who actually were able to see your tiny home slide out slide out right was very interested in that particular add-on right um the the idea of the slide out was that directly beneath the slide out once it's pushed all the way in directly beneath the slide out was built into the floor a 30 gallon fish pond which everybody does totally ooh and odd about <laughs> well, especially since I had a, a plexiglass cover over it, so you could actually see the water. You could actually stand on it and all that kind of good stuff. You didn't have to worry about it. Um, didn't quite have fish in there yet. But, no, I never yeah. did get fish in there. Um, decided to upgrade to the bus, and, and that's where it went. Through. Right. Yeah. Now, in the in the tiny home, I did have a fish pond, 30 gallons. I had a garden, eight linear feet. In other words, four feet on each side was the media garden. In other words, basically a dirt box. Right. Kind of like a raised garden bed, but only it was about 12 inches wide, four feet long on each side, and then two feet deep. So there's plenty of room for stuff to grow. Good. Now, above the garden bed was what I called vertical garden tubes. Now, I had, I think it was uh, four tubes on each side, so they're about three or four inches apart. And each tube was designed to hold up to 13 individual plants in that tube. So in that little four-foot square space, and here's some numbers to remember. I had the equivalent of being able to store or to operate, uh, let's see, 13 times 8 is what? 90-something uh, or other. It sounds right. Okay, so it's it's about a hundred, I think, and then there would have been room for planting beds in the bottom that probably would have allowed 
allowed me to have another, oh, 10 or 20 plants. 13 okay. times 8. 13 times 8. That's 104. So That's 104 plants just on the cylinders alone. And then another another 20 plants, which would put us about 125 plants. Okay. Now, when all is said and done and when you did the math, the prototype was just that. It was not enough to sustain even a single person for any real length of time. Even the power system, which only kept had two batteries in it, was just enough to run the tiny home's lights and a couple of fans for about a day. That did not include refrigerator that didn't and include, computer. Well, that included my little mini fridge. I had a microwave that I used occasionally. Okay. So I could power these basic things for about a day, sometimes a day and a half if I was careful with it. Okay. Now, the whole point of the tiny home was to test the integration issues of all of these different components when you bring them into a habitat where you're going to put people and then close the whole thing up. Right. So uh, we got and the fish pond. And it had no pond. windows, we, just so everybody well, knows. <laughs> there were no windows. There was one door, and again, no windows, not even in the door. It's what we, we call zombie-proof. Zombie-proof, which is interesting <laughs> because I actually had a visitor at one of the shows. He comes out, and we talk about the, the tiny home, and, and when I finish giving him my spiel, uh, he then decides to, to walk around. And, of course, on the, on the driver's side of the trailer, you can see where the battery boxes is, my power supply, the inverters, and the various different connection tools I had available. Um, and we also talked about the water filtration that was built in. I had a built-in composting toilet. Yes, um, I had yeah. a small sink. Um, and I had a hot water tank and a cold water tank uh, that each would hold about eight gallons apiece. So, again, yeah. this was... This was a technology demonstrator prototype. Right. Uh, I wanted to resolve integration issues so that when I, do, when I did get a larger um, unit, then I could get everything put in. Well, now, I just wanted, wanted to let everybody know, this is the same demonstrator that won an award a few years back. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's totally by surprise. They walk <laughs> up and they ask me to come down to – I was at one of the local – uh, maker shows. Yeah. Southwest Maker Shows. Southwest Maker Fest. Yeah. yeah. I've tried to go back a couple of times since and always having mechanical problems and can't can't go. So I'm hoping to get the bus squared away. So anyway, um So you won an award that year. It was uh social social mindedness, I think, type award. Which is perfect for what you were well going absolutely. For. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know I, I had somebody come by in addition. You know it's it's funny the people you meet at different shows like this exactly. and you, you discover um, like-mindedness in places you would have never expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a gentleman come up who was a, I guess you'd call him a prepper, I think, uh, preparing for the SHTF yeah. uh, type things when everything collapses. And he said that would make a great bug out vehicle. And I thought, yeah. okay, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and he says the best part was is that it was indeed zombie proof which is something we no windows yeah, he did right. not even think about it but he pointed out there's no windows right. and the door opens out right and since so you can pretty since you take a couple heads off doing just slamming that door right open oh pushing it open pushing yeah. them away yeah slice ahead and close <laughs> it back up and then if you're real quiet they'll eventually go away right and they, leave you alone yeah, most of the time they're not gonna know you're there right um but uh so, 
<laughs> yeah, dead air. There we go. Okay, got me off track there. Um, so, so anyway, I was just getting all sorts of, of thoughts of, uh, uh, you know, of this couple shows that were on where we had all these zombies in the city, and oh, yeah. something like stuck in the middle there, and and it's like, how did they know we, that they were even there? They didn't, and so of course you pop your head out. Right. Once you lift your head, bing, the bullet bing, gets you in the forehead. They, they, they right? smell you, and that's it. Yeah. So, but, and and the bus bears a lot of, carries forward a lot of the things that we learned on the tiny home. Yes. Yes, there is a fish pond, but our fish pond size has now grown to, and I haven't done the math on this for sure, but I'm guesstimating that we will be able to hold somewhere between 500 and eight. 500 and 800 gallons of water in the two fish ponds that will be mounted in the floor. Now that's because a, you that's, have more space now, and you're also considering three people on this bus, right. potentially, right? And Yeah, and the thing about the bus is is that we've got four sizable rooms, three in the living quarters and then the front section. Okay. Now, the garden section is in the middle or close to the middle, and in there, the garden is split to either sides of the central aisle. And on each side, it's a mirror of the other. So we, we've cut open and built a fish pond uh, with metal framing underneath to support that water weight. So it's still on the floor. It's still in the floor. Now, keep in mind, recessed into the floor. We built the frame underneath the floor to support the weight of, of five to 600 gallons of water. Which is, which is a whole new area for you to actually you know, discuss and actually get through. Oh, absolutely. things that come up and you're going to have to figure it out. It's great. Exactly. And and one of the interesting thing was that uh, we were able to reuse components of the bus as part of the framing members to support the fish pond. Uh, many of the seats were used. We cut off the seat portion of it. Recycling. And, and recycling. Yeah. So, you know, that whole reduce, reuse, and recycle, we're doing that. Those, those seats were really solid. Oh, yeah. And really and, great padding and, and just the, the Well, we took all the padding stuff and we kept only the metal framing. But the, that metal framing, metal framing became, awesome stuff. once it was trimmed just right, we were able to weld it up underneath the, the bus on the outside corner, on the outside uh, railing there. And, and then weld it right into place. And it literally fit exactly to bridge the distance between the center frame member and the outer wall of the bus. And it just, it, it worked out very well. Then we took some of the galvanized sheet metal from the inside walls. Yeah. And we used that to create our inner surface that we then put insulation down um, and then lined that with our pond liner so that we could keep everything nice and sealed up well. So it sounds to me like you really got come pretty far with this bus that you're working on. Yes, we have. And, and in fact, this week we're going to be putting up a whole new... Um, post on the website where we're actually going to show a tour of the bus where we sit right now. Our kitchen is very nearly complete. We have the finishing touches, you know, molding, cabinet doors, things like that. But the kitchen and the workshop, which are located in the in the second room behind the cockpit, are more or less complete. The electrical is all done. Um, the next room back is the garden area, and one quarter of the garden space is very nearly complete. Um, the passenger side pond is complete. Uh, the pump is ready to go. Now I just have to finish the two uh, garden beds on that side. 
One garden bed is complete, and I have six of the cylinder uh, plant towers in place. Uh, each of these also are the same size as we used in the tiny home because I took the, the eight from there and just yeah. brought them over. So you recycled from the, reti- from the tiny home into the Exactly. Bus. And that's the idea is to bring that stuff first. forward, yeah, yeah. bring it forward so and that I don't waste anything. On it. Yes. So we have the garden. Then in the back, um, we have the three bunks built into the bus. And uh, with there, we'll have a shower uh, and a um, and, and, and a, uh, <laughs> a, a purpose-built toilet. Yeah, um, there you go. We will not be process. We will not have to deal with sewage because of the way we're going to be processing our waste. There will be no sewage. Now, mind you, I did say that zero sewage. Which because is a whole, of the way it's a whole different discussion. That it's we a, will, a whole different yeah. discussion. We're not going to go into that tonight right. on how we're going to do that. Right. But um, I what our appetites really are. Well, yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> so let me see here. How much time have we got left? Well, we got 40 minutes. And the thing is, I want to make sure oh, okay, we get good. into, again, we, we're going into Curtis in a jar. And uh, something that came up this last week that we've been following. And we want to just wanted to talk about now. Yeah, and that, no, what Curtis did is something I've wanted to do. Yeah, um, it's awesome. <laughs> Curtis. Now, Curtis is in Canada, and he's a fairly well-known um, uh, scientist. Or, uh, is he a scientist or former teacher? I forget what uh, I what he did. A, yeah. Um, or a science teacher, I don't remember. But anyway, Curtis um, built himself a 10 by 10 square room. Well, it started with an 8x8. Eight eight. Yeah, I started with an 8x8. Eight eight. So here, let me get here so that I can get this stuff in the right order. So the point was, um, he's uh, particularly concerned about global warming and wants to build awareness in people about climate, well, climate change, not yeah. actually global warming, but, but climate change. Yeah. And the climate changes for a lot of reasons. There's natural climate change. But then when you look at the population of the earth and you look at all the things that we humans are doing, be it deforestation, be it uh, converting um, forest and prairies into farmland, uh, be it uh, waste products that we produce, the products that we produce for farming in um, pesticides and fertilizers and things like this. Most of these are artificially produced. Now, all of these things contribute to the impact that we as humans make on our planet. Now, he couldn't create this biome that could address all of these issues, so he focused on just one thing, and that is the production of carbon dioxide. And he, he actually that was is, able that to... an important thing to our library. Well, it, it really is, because Mars is full of carbon dioxide. There is so much carbon dioxide in Mars' atmosphere that we cannot survive. Um, the atmospheric pressure alone is just way too low. But more importantly, the air that's there is mostly carbon dioxide. Now, on Earth, our atmosphere is actually mostly nitrogen. But a good proportion of the rest of the air is also oxygen. Now, 
a lot of that oxygen comes from plants and uh, organic processes that sequester carbon dioxide into the roots, into the ground, into leaves, into uh, decomposing matter, such that we then are able to use the oxygen that's left in the atmosphere. Now, he focused on a biome being a small thing with plants and humans, and that in that biome, there would be an interaction between the plants and he, the human. Well, we hope he's human. <laughs> so, I think he kind of proved that by the end of this particular Right. Experiment. Now, the important thing is, is so let's, let's say, just for giggles and snorts here, that we're headed for a disaster, and you being a dutiful prepper, survivalist, whatever you want to call yourself, have set up your bunker with food and supplies. and you're pre- Or you're preparing to go with me and we're going to live on a moon or Mars and planning your supplies to take with you. The first challenge that you have to deal with, above all, has to do with the air you're going to breathe. We know that you can go two or three days without eating. No, it's two or three days without water. And it's up to around seven or eight days without food. Okay? So so food and water, well, they're not quite as important as air. Because without air, you're dead in less than 30 seconds. <laughs> I mean, that, that's pretty much, that, that's like the headsman's act. Boom, you're done. There, there is no coming back from that. So it, I, that's why I found um, Curtis' experiment here to be very telling, very, very intriguing. Now, It was a limited experiment, but it did actually demonstrate some measurable results, which sometimes for for an ad hoc experiment like this, sometimes it's pretty hard to generate measurable results. No, it did take a couple months for him to prepare. prepare, Because not only did he build the the little habitat he had, which was basically just frame and plastic. Right. But he also grew the plants from scratch. Uh Uh-huh. So we had to wait for the plants to actually to grow. And that to took grow. about two to three months, depending right. on right. the various different plants. Now, he did. Now, so the first challenge is keeping your air supply long enough to get some work done. If you've ever watched a movie where there's a mine and a cave in, you know there's a limited amount of air available where miners are trapped. And the rescuers never know exactly how much time they have to rescue the miners. Well, for our bunker or habitat, we do have a few resources to tap into. Now, in Canada, Curtis decided to start his DIY biome as an 8 by 8 cube covered in plastic to see if he could maintain an atmosphere within it, within it with him and some plants. Now, um, as we've already talked, I'm building the bus. Hopefully, it'll be done soon. And one of the things that for preppers and survivalists, the bus represents an awesome bug out buggy or Bob for short. Basically the idea of a vehicle that you can have all of your emergency supplies stored in and then be able to leave. Now, some people prefer a bug out bunker as opposed to a buggy in that you get to uh, hunker down in that bunker. You've got all your supplies inside. You're ready to go. Now, for space enthusiasts, the bus represents a complete habitat 
demonstrating that we can survive off of Earth. But they all three, all three share the same first order qualifier in that you've got to have reasonable amount of oxygen to survive with before any of the other supplies you put in there make any offer any benefit. So on to Curtis's effort. Now he started with the idea of an eight by eight cube, but quickly updated it to a 10 by 10 because he found that he needed to include trees in order to increase his leaf count. So we'd done some research to try and understand how many plants he would need. So he ended up estimating around 200 plants. He needed to add a few more trees and some trees in there. So in order to increase the size to 10 feet by 10 feet by 10 feet high, and that allowed him to include some trees to increase his leaf count to improve his odds of success. Now, generally speaking, 10 by 10 room, you should be fine for three days, which is what he was shooting for. But here's the thing. In a 10 by 10 room, if you're alone, you can survive a quantity of air that's in that room for approximately, give or take, three days, uh, depending on how much exercise you want. Um, And so his thought was, if you added plants, could you extend that time? Okay. Now, you go check out videos. He's got three or four of them out there where he talks about this. And he actually talks in part one and part two of he sealed myself in the jar. Um, and he talks which about was, which including setting in, up in the, uh, in the chat. She's the got chat the links. Yeah. So he talks about what basically he thinks went wrong. And I've actually got some of my own uh, opinions of additional issues that we all face if we're looking to build a biome or a habitat or any others like this that are going to try and support human life. Now, the major problem is breathing out carbon dioxide, and this is what he ended up discovering. At concentrations of about 2% of the air that's contained, if 2% becomes carbon dioxide, you're gone. You do not survive. There's not enough oxygen to keep you going at that point. You're breathing out so much carbon dioxide that it's becoming a problem and you can't get in enough oxygen to sustain yourself. Now, he used multiple uh, gauges in order to find out. He did. Yeah. And this is what I found particularly interesting because it lends that that measurability, that quantifying factor to give you an idea of what he actually faced. And with those measurements, we can get a better idea happening in the process. Now, uh, we need to digress for just a minute. We need to talk about plants. We learn in uh, grammar school, earth science, that plants, that the general, the general concept is, is that humans breathe in oxygen, we breathe out carbon dioxide. Generally speaking, the lesson goes that plants breathe in carbon dioxide and breathe out oxygen. Well, that's not quite 100% true. What happens is, is in the same way that if you're sitting, if you're lying on your bed asleep, you're taking in far less oxygen and giving out far less carbon dioxide than you would be if you were overworking on your exercise machine, pumping iron for 30 minutes. Or even just moving around. Or even just move. Say you're dancing the flamenco in your bedroom. Okay. I mean, that's a tough dance to do. I know. I've tried that once. Um, But... 
if you're you know performing exercise you're performing work you're using you're consuming that oxygen and dispersing it back out as carbon dioxide that air is not much going to be usable to you for a very long time no plants are the same thing the amount of oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange that you get in the plants changes with several factors nighttime they don't do as much oxygen production the plants don't nope okay because the production of oxygen is based on photosynthesis right. and the only photosynthesize with the sun around because it's photosynthesis God. if the sun's not shining they're not metabolizing the oxygen using the energy of the sun to produce then the energy and the stuff that they use to metabolize their needs and then give off the oxygen as a byproduct. Gotcha. But here's another factor. And this is something I don't think uh, uh, Curtis realized is that when we were watching his video, he climbs in around midnight at night and he's got all these lights on in there. Right. That's really bright. Okay. Well, when he was shooting the vid- video, yes. Right. He'd already slept apparently for five and a half hours. Right. To prepare so that he could do conversations right. inside. Now, uh, the downside to this is, is what we're beginning to learn and appreciate is that, that, as I said before, plants have a circadian rhythm. That's that they metabolize uh the, oxi- the carbon dioxide and the oxygen and the sunlight during the daytime. But at night, they're not producing as much oxygen because they're not doing photosynthesis. Right. So plants go through a similar circadian rhythm as do humans. We generally speaking sleep at night and we are most active in daytime. And this is also true of most, most plants. There are, of course, exceptions. There are night owls among us humans. There are night owls among the plants. Finding the plants that are producing oxygen at night is a bit tough. That's me. That's me. That's me. Yeah. Anyway. So, and because he had a limited time frame that he was working with, right. I seriously doubt that he had enough time to do enough research to find the quality plants. And, and, and in point of fact, NASA is still working on this. And it's been over, well, shoot. They started the biome uh, project of their own way back in the 60s. They had a project. And they got lots of smart people. And they had lots of smart people. And they had lots of colleges and universities to tap into all of the research at that time. And I will say this. Okay. We have more, no more now than we did then. Um, yes and no. We have a lot more research. Right. But it's not helping. Yeah. Those of you who have listened to my rants on <laughs> pre- previous shows... Um, Which you can get right here on the top, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, there, there is what we are finding uh, in a lot of scientific arenas is that the more we try to use technology to replace nature, the more we discover that there are side effects that we hadn't anticipated, and we end up losing more with a technological solution than we do with a natural solution. So really only research only goes so far. Research only you goes have to so have far. Practical application. You've got to have practical application, but also 
you've got to be mindful of the interactions or the lack thereof that you're going to create. Um, in a proper biome, the earth, for an example, plants are part of the food chain. They're all part of the food chain. provide uh, metabolizing of carbon dioxide back into oxygen, but at the same time, these plants also offer cooling effects in the environment um, by increasing humidity, uh, moisture in the air, doing a lot of things that help cool the plant. It's not just air that we're affecting when we mess with the livelihood of plants, but it's our temperature, our humidity, uh, plants are integral in the filtration of our water supply. If they don't, if the water doesn't flow through the plant roots, through the ground, through the minerals, we don't get the water filtration to keep our water supply clean and fresh. And right now, we are struggling with the technological solutions to take our sewage and convert it back into drinking water, which is at best an incomplete solution. Um, the technological solution on the International Space Station, and I know I talked about this before, um, the urine processor, the wastewater processor on the International Space Station, um, is also struggling to produce and meet the goals that it was originally targeted to meet. And so we still have issues with technological solutions in general. Okay. Because technological solutions are black boxes. They're designed to perform one task and one task only, and they do not inter interact with most other systems. But nature doesn't work that way. Now, what Curtis did was intriguing because he tried to create an interaction in his small environment. Right. And that was a good thing. He lasted 15 hours. Yeah, 15 hours. You know, so let's let's talk a little bit in more detail about some of the results of this. Now, one of the most, as I started to, as I touched on already, the vexing aspects of plants is that plants produce less oxygen as carbon dioxide levels increase. Now, a lot of people probably have heard on sci-fi or just any technical type show, they've heard the term cascade effect. And I think one of the things, and again, I wasn't there. I didn't see his readings. So I can't see what he ran into. Well, he did discuss it, but... He discussed yeah. it in general, yeah. but he was talking about, yes, he didn't have enough plants. Yes, it was getting warm. And yes, his biome really wasn't big enough to provide a complete picture of how we are affecting the earth, but it did demonstrate that it doesn't take long. If you don't have enough plants, it takes a very short time for that carbon dioxide to build up. Which is, again, the whole idea was that he was informing, uh, showing that carbon dioxide yeah, is a problem. How we interact with the, with the earth around us. Right. So he did that. He did follow through with what he said he was going to do. Right. And I think he did a pretty good job of it. Um, he kept it simple. He mm -hmm. succeeded in, in what he set out to, to demonstrate. Mm -hmm. And that makes it a, a good experiment. What I'd like to do is go a little bit further mm -hmm. and into a few more details that are important to the work that I am doing now. Right. As I prepare for the bus, you know, we talked about the tiny home prototype had no windows right. and it had one door. 
The bus is the same way. The only window is is in the cockpit. Yeah, you you blacked out all the windows. No, I didn't just black them out. I pulled them completely out. We insulated and we covered up those spaces. So it's as sealed as I am able to make that bus at this time. Now, if I'd have had, it's about as zombie proof as I can get. Of course, it's up high enough. The zombies would be a hard time getting in, first of all. Yeah. There's nothing to grab onto, nothing to break. So, but anyway, moving on. So within this habitat, um, I learned within the tiny home and with the prior research on working with aquaponics and trying to understand the interactions between plants and fish, uh, as well as other creatures, um, that we have to be cognizant of the interactions in the environment that we're going to live. If you're in a bunker, you're still going to have air problems. If you're in that bunker, you're going to have sewage issues. Yeah. If you're in that bunker, yeah, you might have plenty of food, but are you really going to want to eat much food if you're having sewage problems? Well, that's Curtis said that's one of the things people wanted the most. How, how did he go when he had to go? So it's, it's, it's amazing how we go back to our base. There is a, in the same way that the carbon dioxide builds up uh-huh. to a hazardous level, you can generate enough, eat enough food to generate enough poo to eventually create a sewage problem. And that, which is all heaven forbid, issue. the stink is the worst of your worries at that point. Right. Okay. So, but anyway, as, as we go through, um, one of the things that I've learned is that You know, it's one thing for a commercial operation to set up in a warehouse and create these lights of a certain color Mm -hmm. for each different type of plant to keep them growing 24-7. Now, think about that for a minute. It is a technological solution. It is efficient for what it does. But what we're finding is that these technological solutions are producing food that is not near as nutritious. It doesn't have the level of fiber of food produced through dirt farm, mm-hmm. of food that's allowed to grow through its circadian rhythm. I mean, think about this. If you're sitting there and you're pushing hard and you're working and you're, we've all put in all nighters. We've all put in probably at work somewhere we had a project we were working on and we either had the boss breathing down our neck or we were really involved in this project. Yeah. And we might have gone two days without sleep. Yeah. And just how punchy did we get? A lot. We're Patty, not, not pleasant to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> this is way Patty. I, I have been, I have done a few benders like that myself and I know that by ignoring my circadian rhythms, oh, yeah. my mind isn't as sharp. I make stupid mistakes. Well, the next day. I bump into things. <laughs> yeah. My vision starts to blur. My speech starts to slur. <laughs> and heaven forbid, my, my bodily functions start going haywire all over the place. And you don't even drink. No, and I don't even drink. So, but these are things that apparently the circadian rhythm for the environments that we look towards for our sustenance are as equally important to the plants and the insects and the critters as they are to us. And so, again, for Earthsea... all works together. Well, absolutely. 
And again, it's dependent upon the interactions that occur between the various systems. Now, life follows a rhythm. We see that rhythm even in the in the funky photo, funky videos where they show cars going through this through the roads at night, and you can see the rhythms as they thin out towards two o'clock, and then by morning you start seeing the highways fill up again. That that rhythm of life, mm-hmm. we see that in nature as we see um, the rains slow down, the animals start foraging more for for wet plants and waters. We see. Uh, ducks and other fowl migrating because of temperature changes. So we're not just talking availability of food. We're not just talking temperature. We're not just talking weather patterns. We're not just talking rainfall. We're not just talking sunlight. We're talking integration of all of these factors, which plays into the whole concept of what earth seed is about. Now, the second issue that comes into play Oh, the very thing that I wanted to talk about was that one of the challenges that I think he ran into is that by running those lights before the sun came up constantly, he changed the rhythm of the plants. And so they were not producing what he expected them to produce. I suspect that in his environment, because he was walking around and talking and doing things, that he was producing enough carbon dioxide that the concentration within that little biome increased to such a degree that the plants changed their behavior and started producing less oxygen as a result. Oh, that's interesting. Because that's something that I don't think he considered that if he... Well, it's something that even I, I, I've i been studying this stuff for... Five and a half hours, so that right. wasn't enough time. Well, and I and, and again, he took 200 plants plus a few trees into the biome with us. Right. Now, there's an interesting article. I think you put it up in the chat area. It asked the question, how many plants would you need to survive right. in, in, in an airlock? And their, their count actually... Um, is suggest that you need a minimum of 500 plants. Now, keep in mind, we're not talking seedlings here. Those 500 plants need to correspond to a leaf count that goes with it. Um, A safe oxygen consumption rate for a human is approximately 50 liters of oxygen per hour. Now, think about that. We all go to the store and we pick up a two-liter bottle of pop. You would need 25 of those full of oxygen to give you enough oxygen for one hour. Wow. 25 two-liter bottles of air. That's a heck of a lot of air. It really does put it into perspective, doesn't it? It does. Okay. And and, and, And now, to get enough plants to produce that much oxygen on a normal circadian rhythm, Hmm. okay? Yeah. He didn't have anywhere near enough. The article suggests you'd need 500 plants. Well, three to 500 plants would produce the right amount of oxygen. And assuming that you had enough leaves. Now, a leaf gives off about five milliliters of oxygen per hour. So that means you need a whole boatload of leaves. Yeah. And clearly, I don't think he, I don't think he had near enough leaves. You have to understand that he had all his plants on the ground. So... 
that was part of the problem. He didn't have enough space. I don't think he had enough space, or perhaps he could have used the space more efficiently. I think this is something we were talking about, uh, you and I talked about after the fact, how to more efficiently use his, his space. His space in order to, A, get not only more plants, yeah. but also more leaves. Yeah, the leaves now, are there. That's why he added the two trees. Right. Now, if you look at a lot of the research associated with space habitats and growing plants in space, you see a lot of them looking a lot like <clears throat> commercial aquaponic or hydroponic things, where they create multiple shelves that are basically gardens, and they've got lights above each shelf, and they're growing plants on each of these shelves. And while that's efficient for small plants, okay, okay. like lettuces, cabbages, broccoli, things that don't grow very tall. It's not very efficient if you're trying to produce oxygen at the same time. Hmm. Not going to happen. Because you need another thing, another interaction that we don't think about in that kind of an environment, and that is you need airflow. Hmm. One of the things about a stagnant airspace... You need airflow in order to create air. You need airflow to create air because if you're not mixing like the air around the leaves, yeah. then you're not getting this interaction between the carbon dioxide. Now, carbon, carbon dioxide and oxygen are two different components, and they both have different buoyancies in air. We know that in a fire, oxygen tends to be down low. Mm. Whereas the carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide tends to rise above floor level in a fire with the smoke. And that's why firemen and, and safety people tell you stay close to the ground. Right. That's not the drop and roll thing. That that's has. not the drop and roll thing. That's all that's thing. Now, the that's third, the crawl to get out. The third thing that I need to bring out. Oh, and yeah, I'm watching. About the plants, the last thing, in addition to airflow and volume has to do with efficiency arrangement. Now, we're talking about commercial systems that use shelves, and that's all fine and well and good. And there are some that use rotating drums with the plants on the inside of the drum, and that's, that's a little more yeah, efficient. Yeah. But what I'm talking about is you need something that, in his example, we could have improved his oxygen production if he had had hanging cylinders on the walls that held plants in those cylinders. Now, my cylinders are only 36 inches tall, and they hold almost 13 plants each. Yeah, he could have gone higher. He could have. If, if Based on his walls that he had. Exactly. With 10-foot walls, he could have had 4-foot, even 5-foot tall cylinders. Basically. I know, from and, the box. And, right, from, from, from the box. And if by arranging them around the walls, he could have still had his trees in there. Yeah. He could have had shade. He could have had airflow. He could have improved his odds of being able to stay in for the three days. The last thing is temperature and humidity. Now, in his in his example, he was already having trouble with he, that. Yeah, by by seven, eight, ten o'clock, he was it was getting close to noon, and he was really having trouble with with heat and humidity and Down humidity. The now, if he could have arranged, was heavy. right now in earth seed and in the bus, we have the fish pond in the bottom. We have the garden bed next. And then above the garden bed, we have the vertical cylinders plants. In addition, we're also going to be using small uh, citrus trees in our garden. So we'll have that leaf count. 
we're estimating we're going to be running as we're hoping to be able to fit as many as 1,500 plants within our garden space. I don't know if we'll actually get that far. But another thing that I noticed in my early research is that if you think about a rainforest, which is the most diverse plant life on the planet, and yet under this canopy where it's almost dark, you have huge numbers of green plants down on the floor. So there's a factor that we're ignoring in a lot of things in our farming that has to do with competition. When we as humans compete with each other, we become stronger, whether it's mental competition or physical. We become much stronger when we are forced to compete for the goals that we have at hand. And plants are no different. And I'll give you a really good example that everybody's seen. We see these here in Arizona, we have these wonderful monsoons that come through every fall. And there's no way to count the number of these great, big, huge mulberry kind of trees that end up getting pulled over. And you see the root balls on these, which aren't really a root ball. They're a root plate. They are literally practically horizontal. This happens because people don't water the trees deeply. They water them shallow with their regular sprinkler systems. So the water doesn't go deep enough for the trees to have to struggle to find it. If the tree roots don't go deep because they're looking for water, then the tree has nothing to grab onto if all they're grabbing onto is the dirt at the grass level. So, so we, we want our plants. Trees, let's bring up the fact that you're talking about uh, how the, the rainforest has cover. Right. And so really not that much sunlight goes through. We were talking about the fact that he, he needed shade. He needed shade. So we needed to, to create. His problem. He needed to bundle his trees. Yeah so that he could have a shady space. And if he had had plants along more of the walls, he could have mitigated a lot of that temperature and humidity because those plants, in the process of photosynthesis, do take in and absorb some of that heat as part of their process. Right. So these are things that we're trying to incorporate into the earth seed model for our biome. It's not enough to put plants and fish and create a garden and stick it in a bus. Or a habitat. He was also saying that he was happy that the sun was coming up, but the problem was that uh, that would have actually pushed him out of there sooner. Because of the heat. Because of the heat. But with the plants producing oxygen now by photosynthesizing, he could have stayed in longer if he could have dealt with the heat. And that's that's problematic when you're inside a big plastic bubble. Yeah, that plastic focuses that heat. And there's just, uh, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. So anyway, um, and and in summary, just I want to wrap this up real briefly. Kurt's effort demonstrates just how fragile we are and how much of the environment around us is necessary to our survival. The bottom line is to consider whether we're in a do-it-yourself biodome or a habitat on the moon. Learning to live with the environment will be key to being able to leave the bunker or survive the habitat on the moon or Mars. To be safe, don't get into an airlock or a 10 by 10 biodome without bringing a good 500 with you. <laughs> Have a place to empty it. Thank <laughs> you.
that I know you're writing an article about this particular, all these things that we're talking about here, and uh, Curtis in a jar. Uh, just for anybody who's looking for more information about this, as, as hashtag Curtis K U R T I S in a jar. I think you can spell the rest. Uh, so have that in multiple of the locations on the extra stuff on blog talk radio here on under the chat room area so i will be including all these and, and you, all you need to do is go on earthseed uh earthseed.space.home.blog you will find the article that he'll be putting up uh, tomorrow you can find all the articles yeah. about the bus on that particular blog reference uh, it's pretty much most of what we're focusing on now as we try and wrap up the production of the bus, bus and get it ready for the road. Which is a terrific thing to do. The hope is to take the bus on tour uh, sometime in the first part of next year. That's the goal. We'll see how close we get. Also, don't forget that you can find a lot of this information as well as more articles that we're sharing from others. Um, on our Earthseed Space Facebook page. So that's obviously Facebook slash Earthseed Space. Earthseed Space, all one word. And so a lot of these uh, links that we're sharing here are right on the Facebook page. You can scroll down and find more. And I want to wrap it up there, Al. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Put a bow on it. Stick a fork in it. Punch the lights out. (laughs) Sum it up, mister. Sum it up. (laughs) Earthseed is about settling the moon and eventually not only Mars, but locations beyond that. Um, Our methodology is about getting us there to stay not just in a tin can habitat stuck on a surface Not somewhere. just as a vacation either. No. Uh, and so, you know, check us out. Um, there's a lot that we're working on, not just the biome, but we're looking at water filtration. We're looking at waste pr- processing. We're looking at uh, energy. What, energy, absolutely. Sustainability. Um, sustainability right. in every possible sense of the word. And the thing is, is that us humans, we are energy hungry. I mean, it's like we're starved for the things we do between our cell phones, computers, internet, cars, TVs. Everything that we do requires huge amounts of energy that we just do not have to waste. And whether you're concerned about climate change or civil rights, there is a lot that we can do to contribute to our world and make it better. And it's, and quite honestly, it's time we stopped bickering and got together on a few of these things. Yeah. You know, there's opinion and then there's the things that we can demonstrate. And. Yeah. A little, it's the saying goes, can't we just all live together? No, it's can't we all just get along? Wow. Come on, get the right saying there. Okay. If you're going to use a cliche, yeah. use the right one. That's for sure. I mean, you're going to take the, <laughs> the next space is out there. 
At Earthseed, we believe our future is out there, not here. Our future is in learning to live within our environment, to live within our means, and to grow beyond it in the same way dandelion seed drops, blows upon the wind, finds a place to light, and grows another patch of dandelions that then grows another seed. So if you see the logo for Earthseed, you understand the whole concept just with that little statement right there. Very good. Awesome job. Uh, just so everybody knows, Earthseed, uh, and of course the next base show will be on every Sunday. Uh, usually when we can actually run it around the same time. Yeah, that's, okay. that's the so, goal. Either that or we'd be pushing it to Saturday. We're still trying to figure out a time frame. Trying to find our space in the environment here. There you go. We do know that a lot of people like to, you know, veg out and, and just listen for a while. But we also think. We'd like it when you guys think. <laughs> Thinking is good. Thinking is good. And, you know, get on here and share with us. Uh, again, this is a live show. So you can definitely call in. And we're about down to our time, and we're so happy that you guys are back. And we're excited to get it started. And and when you get a chance, you definitely need to check out either the Earthseed Facebook page or Earthseed website because you can see the bus there. It's all black and beautiful. Oh, she's a gorgeous bus. (laughs) She's shiny, and she's ready to go. So You know what we ought to do? We should have a contest soon. Name that bus. Yeah, we were being mentioned something about that that we were going. To... You know what? Somebody told me that we ought to name it. So we ought to name it Dandelion, D-A-N-D-Y-L-I-O-N. Wouldn't it have to be a different color for that? Yeah, it would. That's what I told him. No, we're not naming it Dandelion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, we're gonna we'll we'll be doing that. We'll probably launch that contest here uh, on the show. Uh, once once I get again, we gotta wait till the bus is done. I wouldn't even mind that we totally wrap it in the whole new wrapping for it, as long as somebody pays for it. <laughs> really I hear you. Hurt. I hear you. So we got a lot of new things coming up soon, uh, and with SpaceX and with Blue Origin and oh Virgin Galactic, there's a lot of stuff happening for us to get ready for. Yeah, we haven't been um, out there talking uh, about this or oh, online, yeah. so. We're going to make up for lost time, I'm sure. So hang on. This is not going to be an easy ride. It's, it's we're, we're going places, folks. Hang on. It's going to be a wild ride. Good night. Good night, Al. Good night, Joe. <laughs>